All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. I'm sorry we're a little bit late in getting this out today, but we've all been waiting for the verdict to come back out in the Rittenhouse trial and clearly that has not taken place yet, so we want to be able to get you kind of the highlights of what's going on both with the trial and a lot of other things that have been going on today in the news cycle. So first things first, the judge actually called the attorneys back into chambers, and I think we were all expecting that, you know, probably another woodshed moment for the prosecution. But in this case, it was to let everybody know that MSNBC would no longer be allowed in the courtroom. Why, you ask? Well, it turns out that somebody who I guess was claiming to be an MSNBC producer or journalist was following the jury bus. I want you to think about that for a second, because that's, that's pretty serious stuff. We've already got indications that one of the reasons why the jury is still deliberating, right? I'm not saying this has been finalized or confirmed. This is information that's going, that's going out there. It seems to be decently sourced, um, but it's, you, you've had a couple of jurors that are concerned about the backlash with respect to the verdict that they render. And honestly, Juries are not really supposed to take that into consideration. They're supposed to only consider the facts of the case. But there's been a lot of effort by the mainstream media. There's been a lot of effort by certain protesters in order to apply pressure, presumably in order to achieve the sort of verdict that they want. And that seems to be reflected in the jury deliberations. And now to have a, a news uh, station following the jury bus, that, that's kind of scary because now you get into the realm of intimidation and you start to build up this potential argument that the defense could use to either declare or, or request a mistrial or specifically the way that this defense would probably request is a mistrial with prejudice. And I know you've probably heard this. It's been talked about a lot. There's a mistrial which says that you can throw out the trial because of some sort of you know, misconduct or problem with respect to how the prosecution has um, you know, governed themselves or some other uh, you know, extenuating circumstance which, uh, which convinces the judge that the defendant is not capable of getting a fair trial with respect to the one that has been conducted, right? That's kind of like the mistrial component. If you do a mistrial with prejudice, it's to say, and, and it, this is usually kind of surrounding some sort of misconduct or specifically prosecutorial misconduct that is so egregious that a judge essentially throws it out and Kyle walks and he cannot be tried again for the same crime, right? That's, that's some of the requests that you see going off. And so it's going to be interesting to see what takes place. But MSNBC officially kicked out of the courtroom. And I thought, I thought it was a little bit funny. So I had to, I had to, I had to tweet out that, well, this isn't the first time someone at MSNBC has, you know, posed as a journalist and, you know, as usual, not very convincingly. Um, so what else is going on? Well, obviously there's been a lot of talk too about the Build Back Better bill. So this was, this was finally, you know, 
put into effect or signed into law. You got enough Republicans in the Senate and the House to go along with it, which, by the way, is highly problematic, especially in the House, because there was enough Democrat votes to vote against this bill, uh, specifically the squad, if the Republicans had just stayed strong on not voting for this spending mon monstrosity. But there's this idea that this is a really popular bill because you've got all of this money being spent for infrastructure. Problem is, is when you actually dig down is, yes, there is some money for infrastructure, but there's some really big problems with this. One, there are literally billions of dollars going to things that nobody would consider to be infrastructure, not to mention the fact that we're creating this dynamic where now if you, if you want to get spending for something um, and you can't justify it through a regular budget item or you can't convince your colleagues that it's, it's worthy of government spending, fine. Put it in this large infrastructure spending bill and just declare that it's infrastructure. That's why you had people coming forward saying things like, oh, well, child care is infrastructure. <laughs> okay, in the cosmic realm where everything can theoretically affect everything else to some degree, then, then yes, macaroni and cheese is infrastructure. But that's not what anybody thinks when you're talking about putting together an infrastructure bill. They're typically thinking about roads, bridges, ports, things of that nature, right? You, you can even make a broader argument for some of the things with broadband, but even that carries some real problems associated with it. But that's what people tend to think of. And unfortunately, there was a whole lot of spending that was crammed into this bill that had nothing to do with what we would traditionally consider to be infrastructure. Not to mention the fact that there was also some interesting tax breaks because many of you might know that there's something called SALT, right? It's the state and local taxes. What it is, it gives you the ability, it gives certain people the ability to make an exemption on their taxes, or excuse me, a, um, uh, it makes them exempt from paying some federal taxes based off of the state taxes they have to pay. So think of it this way. You owe so much in federal taxes and you owe so much in state taxes. Well, what SALT allows you to do is deduct the amount of state taxes you pay right, from your income and it, can, it actually lowers the amount of taxes you can potentially have to pay on the federal side. Here's what's interesting, right? About 47% of the country pays no federal income taxes, right? But no federal income taxes, right around 47%. So the vast majority of people paying federal income taxes are making roughly about $70,000 or more, right? From like, like household incomes and things like that. So the question is, there's two problems with this. One, we got to ask Democrats, okay, if you love the SALT tax, if you love this SALT exemption so much, well, then who's getting that tax break? Well, it's not poor people because they're not paying federal taxes. So they can't write off their state and local taxes toward their federal taxes. So it, it's actually people on the upper end of the income spectrum that are getting this federal tax break. So that's, that's one issue with it if you believe in this sort of you know, liberal talking point that they only want tax cuts for the quote-unquote poor. Here's the other thing that's, that's problematic about it. What ends up happening is the federal government is taking in a smaller percentage of the overall revenue that they otherwise would have had from high-tax liberal states, right? So that same person making that same amount of money living in Texas. So you got, let's say you got two business owners. One lives in California, one lives in Texas. The one in Texas will actually have to pay more taxes to the federal government than the one in California because the feds are allowing California, them to write off their California taxes. So you're essentially subsidizing high state taxes by doing that, right? So there's a fundamental fairness issue here 
with respect to what ha what someone has to pay to the federal government based off of what state. So if your state is the sort of place that says, look, we don't want to confiscate more of your money, and so we're going to tax you less, well, now you end up having to pay more to the federal government right, than you otherwise would have to. And that, that's what's problematic about it. In fact, there's a lot of people mad at Donald Trump because he said, no, we're not doing this exemption. We're not going to subsidize high-tax states and, and give them a break. Those states can deal with their taxpayers and, pre and presumably lower their own taxes instead of getting a break from the federal government, right? It's, it's the idea that your, your contribution, right, to the federal government shouldn't go down simply because your local state is charging you more in taxes, right? We don't want to give special breaks or incentives to, for states to tax more. And so that, that was one of the issues within it. Again, some of the spending that has nothing to do really with traditional concepts of what infrastructure is. And then here's the best part. Joe Biden was apparently talking to lawmakers. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Joe Biden that, you know, has, has admonished the CBO as a, the Congressional Budget Office and, and other such institutions as being, you know, just rock solid organizations. That when they put out some sort of data with respect to how much a particular program or how much government spending is going to cost you, that that's, that's, that's the way to go. Here's the problem. CBO is only allowed to take numbers and presumptions that the politicians actually provide them. And you'll remember Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and others running around saying that the, this, this program costs zero dollars. And what they meant by that was it's paid for. It's paid for through tax revenue. They're not going to have to go into additional debt. They're not going to have to print more money. It's paid for in tax dollars. Now, how were they going to get those additional tax dollars? Because it sure as hell wasn't covered based off of the current tax revenue. Well, they were going to significantly raise taxes. And that's what they proposed to do. They raised taxes, except for things like the salt tax, where they actually gave a break to you know, wealthier liberals in blue states. Right? They implemented this. And then what happened? Oh my goodness, it, it turns out that when you're spending over a trillion dollars, that's not going to be covered by all the additional taxes you presumed you would gain through the bill itself. So now we're in this situation where not only is this horribly expensive, not only does it give tax breaks to wealthy people in blue states, not only does it give all kinds of carves out to special you know, Democrat interest groups like trial lawyers and, and unions, but it's not even going to cover what they said it was going to cover, right? This is not going to cost zero dollars. And here's the dirty little secret, right? It was never going to cost zero dollars. But they could have at least said, okay, it's, yeah, it's going to cost this much, but it's going to be paid for through these additional taxes, which will cover the additional spending. Except that's not even going to be achieved anymore. And let me go ahead and just show you my surprise face. That's right. Because I'm not surprised. And neither should you be. Right? This is, I, I remember when this first came out, I, I came right out and I said, this is going to be this administration's, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor a moment. Right? It, it's that thing where they are saying something that they know is a lie, but they have to market it a certain way in order to sell people on it. And now you have every single Democrat running around there. I've seen all kinds of things from Abigail Spanberg or Mark Warner, Tim Kaine talking about, oh, I'm so proud. And, and here's all the money that this is going to mean for Virginia. Once again, remember this, whenever the federal government is taking your tax dollars, all right, and then they give it, Thomas Sowell said this best, he goes, taxes are the process of taking your money quietly and then giving it back flamboyantly. And that's exactly what the Democrats are doing right now. They took your money, right? They lied to you about how much they were actually taking. They weren't really honest about everything that they were spending it on. And then they're going back and they're picking just the things that they think will be the most convincing to you. 
And they're plastering that all over their Twitter pages, their Facebook pages, talking about what a great job that they did. And because you know they, they were able to get a small percentage of Republicans in the House to go along with them, it's this idea that it's this wonderful bipartisan you know, component. I mean, they can make a better argument for that on the Senate side, but not so much on the House. But, but that's the problem with this. And so what are we going to see? Well, you're, you're going to see a lot of spending on a variety of things that have very little to do with infrastructure. You're going to see a lot of this money, um, you know, Again, it's the government, so they're probably, they're going to pay significantly more than they would otherwise have to if this was actually something that was done in a free market, and that's going to be because of some of the carve-outs they've done to special interest groups within you know union la- or labor uh, unions and things of that nature. Um, so again, even the things you are going to get uh, are going to be priced far higher than they they really should be. Um, and and again, just a, another one of the problems that we have with the way government approaches spending. And then their expectation that we should all just sit here and be, be thrilled with them uh, when they spend our money on things, some of which we might like, some of which we might not. Um, but, but the idea that we owe them some sort of special gratitude for spending our money ineffectively and inefficiently is, is I think, a little bit absurd. There's another thing I wanted to, um, another thing I wanted to bring up that I, I thought was interesting within the news cycle. And this had to do with the United Nations. Um, I forget who the undersecretary, you know, whatever, the, the guy that, that's covering, you know, he does a lot of the, the food programs within the United Nations. And they were talking about how much wealth Elon Musk had. And so this guy puts out this statement going, well, with $6 billion, you know, we, we could feed all of the hungry people. Like he, he made this really, really kind of outlandish statement that if only Elon Musk would hand over his money, then, then they could you know, solve world hunger. It wasn't quite that bad, but pretty dang close. And so Elon Musk called him on it. He said, okay, great, show me a proposal and I might just do it, right? And, I, and this is one of the things I love about Elon Musk, right? This guy has swagger. And, and it's not to say I always agree with Elon Musk. It's not to say that I, I always agree with all the ways that he's made his money because some of it has come through government subsidies, which I'm not a fan of. But in the end, he's put a lot of time and attention on focusing on building products and services that people want, right? The the primary reason why he is so wealthy is because he is focused on appealing to customers and investors, all right, not confiscating your money uh, through taxation. So he comes back at the UN, he says, okay, give me a proposal. Now, before the UN comes back with a proposal, there's a couple things you need to point out. Somebody uh, went on there and immediately said, really, that's interesting, with $6 billion dollars, you, you could solve all these problems because you raised 12 billion. You spent 12 billion already. How come you haven't solved it, right? And, and this is one of the primary issues with the UN is it's this idea that if we just had your money, we, we would spend it so much more nobly than you would spend it, all right? We would spend it curing hunger, whereas you're only spending it on products and services that makes people's lives better, right? So that's, that's the point. But the UN came back and said, okay, we're gonna present you a proposal. And they went through and they worked out all the money they would spend on purchasing food, delivering food, the different programs that would go into it. And as you're reading through this, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this going, oh, it's it, you know, this many people that they would help as refugees in Afghanistan. And I'm thinking, I know exactly how this is going to go down. And anybody that has any history or, or, or understands how the UN operates, we all kind of know how this is going to go down in some of these countries that they want to deliver food to. It, it's going to go like this. They're going to take a ton of money and then they're going to pay off local warlords and third world dictators and terrorist and criminal organizations. 
And they're gonna pay them off in a couple of ways. One is going to be, hey, can we please give food to your hungry people? Right, so that's the first bribe. Then you're gonna get in there and it's gonna be all kinds of conditions on how you get the food to them. You've gotta use you know, the cousin of the premier in order to ship your food to a particular location. Right? Then at some point along the way, it's going to be confiscated by some rogue warlord who's then going to take the food and use it in order to increase his own power base as he oppresses the population. Then the UN is going to have to spend additional money on bringing troops in in order to protect the food shipments. Now, if history is any guide, there's maybe a 50-50 shot that these UN troops either get outgunned or captured by these various warlords, and now the UN essentially has to pay ransoms in order to get those people back. And maybe they get some of the food back, maybe they don't get some of the food back, but ultimately this ends up becoming a token that warlords are now fighting on within these countries that the UN paid for using, presumably, Elon Musk's money. Right, so as I'm looking at all the different the policies, they make it sound simple, like we're going to buy this much food and then there's gonna be this much transportation and logistical costs in order to provide it to these people that are hungry in Afghanistan. And you just know that because it's the UN, they're gonna pay way too much, they're gonna pay a bunch of bribes, there's gonna be fraud, waste, and abuse, there's going to be embezzlement um, from people within the UN in order to ship all this. And I'm thinking to myself, Elon, please, I think your heart's in the right place. But I have far more faith in Elon Musk to come up with a way to execute this and feed hungry people than I do the United Nations. Because the other big thing with the United Nations is here's their plan. We're gonna take a bunch of food and we're gonna give it to a bunch of people. Cool, is there any sustainability on that? Or are you just gonna come back to Elon Musk every year for another $6 billion in order to feed people? Like at what point do you actually set up significant infrastructure that allows people to, oh, I don't know, feed themselves, because ultimately that's what they want. You think anybody in the world right now is living there, living in absolute destitute poverty, thinking to themselves, gosh, I sure hope I can live the rest of my life where some billionaire in another country that is far more stable, that is operating off of, you know, I don't know, representative principles, rule of law, and oh, by the way, free market economic systems that allow them to acquire such wealth, you think anybody is sitting in those countries going, no, I don't want that for myself. I just want to continue to live off of, you know, the, the benevolence of people in other countries and international, corrupt international organizations to get it to me. You know, preferably directly to me and not through a warlord or a violent dictator. Preferably. But let's face it, the UN's going to do whatever they need to do in order to make the commercial showing about how great the UN is. You know, so they can have another swanky party somewhere showing about how great they are and how horrible capitalists are, even though, amazingly enough, the UN wouldn't have a fraction of the money they currently spend if it wasn't for free market capitalist economies that provide the sort of economic opportunity that we should be exporting to the rest of the world. Right? The UN doesn't want to export the system that actually works. No, they just want to reapportion and redistribute the money. Because let's face it, if we ever got to a point where those countries actually did have the kind of stability and free market policies that allowed them to be able to build themselves out of poverty, why would we need all those positions at the United Nations? And this is one of the points that Thomas Sowell has brought up, is that when we look at government agencies and we look at government programs, it's important to understand that the people within those institutions and programs, no matter how benevolent their intentions might be, they have their own interests. And their interests, when they become a part of that program, inevitably becomes not just to hand out nice things to people in need, but to build the power, influence, and budget of their own organizations, regardless of whether or not they're actually achieving the end state. So please, Elon, love you, man. Don't give $6 billion to the United Nations 
in order to feed hungry people. I'm not saying don't feed hungry people. I'm not saying don't provide opportunities. But with the people in many of these countries need, and I'm not talking about some of the refugee situations where you do have people in high distress and, and providing the sort of stability where they can take care of themselves is a long way in the future. I understand prioritizing that. I'm talking about some of these other areas where what they really need is economic opportunities that come through private property rights and free market principles, not the sort of socialist redistribution that the UN does so incredibly poorly. So let's, let's not prop up an organization that has a horrible track record on this. Right? They, they, they can point to a hungry person they fed all day long and say, look at the great thing we did. And that instance may be great, but when you look at how much they cost, how much embezzlement, how much fraud, how much you know, danger, how many third world warlords were propped up by the way the UN did it, you have to take that into consideration too before you give massive amounts of money to such an organization. All right, so, all right. I'm going to go ahead and stop it there. Let's do a quick wrap-up. So, once again, we're all waiting for the Rittenhouse decision to come out. MSNBC has been thrown out of the court. Um, you know, again, if the sort of people that are just adamant about Kyle Rittenhouse going down for life keep behaving in the way that they do, they might actually achieve the opposite of what their stated objectives are because they might create the very conditions which allows this judge to justifiably say, hey, I I'm, I'm sorry, mistrial with prejudice, Kyle walks. But then again, you have to wonder too with some of these organizations if that's not what they really want, right? Because there's other cases that the media could be focused on right now. There's one in Georgia right now that, that is, that from what I've seen of it, and I'm, and I'm not, again, casting judgment until I see all the, the evidence, but from what I've seen so far, there, there's a far stronger argument to be made in that case in Georgia that, that the people that intervened and ended up killing the man uh, in, um, that they're on trial for that was a far more, you know, a, a far worse situation with respect to equal application of the law or, um, you know, people behaving in a responsible manner within there. That was far, far more, you know, again, controversial issue down there than what we're seeing with respect to Kyle Rittenhouse. But the media is fixed on this. And again, a part of me has to wonder at some point, you know, with everything that they're doing right now, um, when someone is doing something that seems to be in complete opposition to what their stated objectives are, you start to wonder if that's the real objective. All right, with the Build Back Better plan, I, I think the major takeaway here is that they promised us this would cost zero dollars, which in and of itself was absolute garbage. But the way they justified that comment was saying that additional tax revenues would cover the entire spending, and we're now finding out, no, it won't. And gosh, how predictable was that? And then finally, with this UN you know, proposal to Elon Musk, Elon Musk would be doing far more for hungry people across the world if you would continue focusing um, on creating opportunities for people and managing his own charitable dollars instead of giving it to an organization like the United Nations, which will waste a great deal of it, defraud a great deal of it, use a lot of it in ways that were never intended by the people that donated it, and then ultimately not only help a fraction of the people that they promised to with the money, because quite frankly, they just don't operate things well. All right, I'm Nick Freitas for Making the Argument. I want to thank you for joining us. Again, we'll try to be back as soon as possible when we have the, uh, the final verdict from the Rittenhouse trial. Other thing I want to let you know, we're, we're going to break out into something else. We're going to try something new. We want your feedback as our viewing audience, as our listening audience. So we're going to be doing some React videos. Um, so we should have our first one coming out not too long from now, probably sometime next week. Want you to take a look at that. Tell us what you think about that format, right? We got a couple different ways that we're gonna we're gonna tackle this. And part of the reason why we're doing that is we've actually had people come up, approach me, ask me about this sort of work. So if you like it, 
Leave us a comment, leave us a review, leave us a five-star rating. Once again, thank you for joining us on Making the Argument. We'll see you next week. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.